With authority! Aloha! Welcome to the most muscles and podcast in Barry Sports. Welcome to ABC7 Sports. With authority! You are inside the ABC7 Sports Department. We have a heavy hitting episode today, Larry Beal. Back from the beach. By the way, I think all of these podcasts should originate from the beach. I agree. Any beach. I'd pick Waikiki. We could do Santa Cruz. We could do Long Beach. Anything with a beach in it, I'm down for that. But little did I think that we'd be talking about the Giants and playoffs. Playoffs in the same sentence, but here we are. Is it fool's gold? We will delve into that. Giants streaking days have actually been hotter, as uh, my man here who likes to wear the green and gold underwear often reminds me. When have the A's had a better duo than the Mats? I'm gonna. Uh, you didn't know I was they gonna call bring this me Jose, up. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm Mark. Uh, <laughs> or it could be silk robes and kimonos. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a, a great duo, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a special guest. We're gonna start bringing in guests. A world champion, and if things go as I hope, he will choke out Casey Pratt on the videotape. It's Ryan Darth Bader. He is the Bellator heavyweight and light heavyweight champion, and he's got a big bout coming up in San Jose. Bader two belts here in moments. Yes. Uh, Before he gets choked out, well, Casey might try to hypnotize him because he's been known to hypnotize chickens. Mm -hmm. That is a true story. It's a fact. I would not lie about that. And did you participate in that old age face app challenge? And if you did... Don't be surprised when Comrade Putin comes knocking on your door because it's a Russian app. What are you doing? You're giving them your stuff. They're it's yeah. You're handing don't, over. Yeah. Don't do it. Your intellectual property, assuming we have any intellectual property <laughs> to to hand over. You want to talk some baseball? I I cannot believe that we are approaching Major League Baseball's trade deadline. And we are even fathoming the San Francisco Giants as buyers? Really? Well, that's the question, because is this fool's gold? I mean, as we tape, uh, the Giants are on a winning streak. So are the A's. And In fact, the Giants just came off what for them is like a historic run, a four-game sweep in Colorado. That's been their house of horrors forever. But now they're inching up towards 500, and because the rest of the National League is so bad... They're now in legitimate wild-card playoff contention. They're never going to catch the Dodgers for the division. That's no. a whole other story. But, you know, if they can keep this going, then they have a very interesting question and or dilemma to deal with, which is we assumed the first couple of months of the season, this team is terrible. We're not going to call it rebuild. They wouldn't call it rebuild. Uh, but it certainly it was a retooling with Farhan Zaidi, uh, the man who's in charge basically a, a, a kind of a, a churn and burn operation mm-hmm, where yes. you bring guys in, you give them a, you know, look a week and a half or whatever. And if they can't get it done, then you just spin them out and you move on to the next guy. But when you look at Kevin Pillar, Alex Dickerson, Mike Yastrzemski, Austin Slater, Donovan Solano. And I know you believe in Steven Vogt. Absolutely. Suddenly these guys are hitting machines and the giants are, sort of contending at this point 
And so when your plan going into the season is, well, we're going to have to sell off Madison Bumgarner. Yep. Obviously, you know, you got Will Smith, who at one sell point him. in the season was perfecto, mm-hmm. closing games. He's an he's, all-star this year. He's an all-star. He's our only all-star. So you're thinking, all right, we're going to sell these guys off. Now you start to ponder, oh, if we could get that second wild card and we trot out Madison Bumgarner in a one-game playoff, do, do you want to throw your whole season in on that? Or do you want to go, no, let, let's, let's get a hold of ourselves. We're here to rebuild. We're here to reset. Forget, who cares about a one? You, this is not a team that's going to be a World Series contender. So let's not get delusional. Let's enjoy the mini run of success, but not go crazy and, and assume that this is a team that's really going to do a lot of damage in the National League playoffs. Yeah, so I'm going to paint two different scenarios. One, the Giants are absolutely in the hunt for the wild card right now. I cannot believe that as a fact. As you pointed out, the NL is extremely weak. A one-game playoff with Mad Bum and potentially Johnny Cueto ready to come out of the pen. Well, come, come on now, come on. And then you got your all-star closer, Will Smith. No, we've traded him already by then. I don't think you have. So oh, oh, in yeah, this scenario, definitely. you haven't. You're keeping him. So what's crazy to me is as the Giants' run of success started, you slowly started hearing the drum beat of, maybe we don't sell, maybe we don't sell, maybe we don't sell, maybe we buy. And I was, like, rolling my eyes. I couldn't roll my eyes any harder. I was like, this is, this is flat-out ridiculous. Like, this is just preposterous. There's no way the Giants should be buying or even thinking they're competing. I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's starting to look like a situation where, yeah, they could absolutely win the wild card. And you have Bruce Bochy in his final year with the Giants, and it's like, wow, maybe they shouldn't. Now, I will tell you, I've been a big proponent of selling. I've been saying it to you for three years. The Giants need to sell. They need to sell. They need to sell. They need to tear it down. Clean house. Get rid of everybody. They have no farm. The vets they do have, while they did right by them and kept them around, all need to go. I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a team that has not been very good. They need to do something. So while I see the intrigue in buying, I see the intrigue in going for it, which doesn't seem completely crazy to me right now. Well, hold on a second. Have I will. you have completely flipped your position I'm going on to this? tell you that I think they could make a run, but I don't think they should, and okay. I'm going to tell you why. Look at this. The Giants' record, as we record, is 47-49. and 49. Right. They are in contention as a losing team with a run differential of minus 38, even after this incredible surge they had, including a 19-2 victory. Yeah. The Giants last year were awful, right? Yeah. Terrible. Yeah, a worse A year team before. that was so bad, they had to bring in Farhan Zaidi and Clear House and think about selling. Guess what their record was on this day? Last year, in a season in which they lost 89 games... Well, their record was 47-49. Their yeah. record was 50 and 48 on this day last year. Well, but they were hanging around 500 for most of the season and then yeah. they just had this epic collapse in the last 6-7 weeks 
of the campaign. So I, I don't know that this is an apples to apples comparison because so much of the personnel is different. But they lost 98 the year before that. So you lose 98, you lose 89 the next year. Yeah. You're a losing team with a negative run differential. And last year they even had a better record at this point, And you weren't at that point saying, this is the year, let's go for the wild card. I mean, I just don't think that the Giants going for it is to the benefit of the team in their future. And that's the issue at hand. So they really need to take a hard look. Now, if you're the Giants' ownership, do you sit down with Bruce Bochy and say, Boch, I know it's your last year. I know you're done after this. But what is your honest opinion? Do we go all in or do we punt? Well, I think you owe it to Bruce Bochy to ask his opinion about the appropriate course of action. But he's not going to have the final say in it. Farhan Zaidi's going to have the final mm-hmm. say. And you can't become the prisoner of the moment because you're enthralled by this winning streak or the fact that they're actually playing good baseball after being miserable the first couple of months of the season. You have to look at the long game here. And the long game says, over the course of 162 games, Alex Dickerson and Pilar and, and all these guys that we never heard of, frankly, mm-hmm. a few months ago are not likely to keep this up the entire way. So, okay, we've got lightning in a bottle right now. How long does it last? Let's enjoy it. To me, I would say the Giants' season would be a success if they finished above 500. i am not expecting mm-hmm. them to contend for a playoff spot. I think it would be foolish to really go all in on a playoff spot. I think the only way that you secure a future that's positive going forward is you have to get some prospects back from Madison Bumgarner that are worth something. Will Smith, in any scenario, whether you you think you're going for it or not, he's got to be traded. And it's not because he's bad. It's because he's really, really good. He has a little value now, especially after an all-star appearance. So, okay, if the Dodgers need a bullpen, I don't even have a problem with sending him to the Dodgers. The whole goal is not to try to just get into a one-game playoff scenario this year. The, the idea is we got to rebuild this thing for the next five years. Exactly. So, you know, would Madison Bumgarner be a part of that? I mean, there's a scenario where you could rent him to another team, get prospects back, and kind of do the Aroldis Chapman deal that the yeah, Yankees then did. buy him right then back buy him right the back. And, but that would require you making a commitment of probably 25 to $30 million a year mm-hmm. for, for five years. Are you willing to go $150 million or something like that? to re-secure the services of Madison Bumgarner. I'm saying enjoy the ride while it lasts right now. And if you can contend, yeah, you hang around, but you're still in the process of churning and burning Mm -hmm, and finding mm -hmm, out. mm -hmm. I mean, if Alex Dickerson was going to be a major league regular, it probably would have happened at this point. So while he's hot and teams have not figured him out, and the rest of this group, I mean, Pilar's playing great defense also. So he's he's going to be, I would think, a long-term giant. He's a good player. No, yeah. he actually he has a track record. He didn't just come out of nowhere. That was a good acquisition. No, but, but I think it would be foolish to, you know, imagine a scenario where this Giants team, barring some major acquisition, is going to contend seriously in the playoffs. I agree with that sentiment. You don't mortgage your entire future for a one-game playoff. No. And maybe if you get into the first round, you're still going up against a much better team. You look at the way the Giants are constructed, they are not going to win the way they used to win. You can't win on your elite pitching and then just scraping together enough big hits. I mean, this is a team that doesn't have 
despite the surge recently, the power to win in today's MLB with the uh, more symmetrical aerodynamic ball that they insist isn't juiced. I mean, you look at a team like the Oakland A's, they have, was it six players with 15 home runs already? The Giants have zero. Only took 11 minutes for you to get to zero Oakland A's. I mean, but the A's are more obvious, so we don't even really need to talk to them at this point. They're supposed to be good. They are good, and they're going to go to the playoffs. Maybe as a well, wild well, card. Well, hold on a second. They're a playoff hold team. Hold on a second. They are a playoff team. They They're occupy to be the second team. wild card position yeah, as they'll we be speak. Fine. This is this is their. Are MO. they catching the Astros for the division? They're getting closer, but the Astros are very good, and the Astros just got back George Springer, and they're about to get back Carlos Correa and Altuve's missed time. I think the Astros are one of the best teams in all of baseball. I think the A's route is going to have to be the wild card, but they have a lot of talent. And you got to look at what the A's have done right now, not to hijack the conversation, but they've done this with almost nothing from Chris Davis lately. Oh, that's true. Which is unbelievable. So if he figures it out, look out. But I think the Giants have a very, very tough decision to make. Um, internally, they might want to take this obscenely large payroll and get something out of it. You know, the Giants really care a lot about perception, but I just don't think they can bite. I think, I, I think it would be similar to a few years ago with the Fool's Gold where the Cubs won the World Series and the Giants pushed them in the playoffs, and if they yep. had the bullpen, they would have come through. But uh, that led them to the disastrous Mark Melanson acquisition, yep. which seemed like a bright idea at the time, and you could easily have talked yourself into that whole deal. But that further delayed the inevitable rebuild, which is where we are right now. I don't think... A few good weeks of baseball is any good reason to stop what the big picture is telling you. Yes. And that is, look, we still have Brandon Belt, who's a, a sub-20 home run guy every year. Mm-hmm. Buster Posey, what is he, sitting on five home runs? Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon Crawford is actually, he had one monster game, which made up uh, like a better performance than his entire month of June. Uh, where we had the three homers and nine RBIs in one in one doubleheader. But you still have some of that, which is an older team that is not likely to keep this going for the next two, three months. So I, I just think you, you've got to make the hard decision. you got to say aloha, Bumgarner, we love you. <laughs> but th- that is with with one caveat you've got to get serious prospects back you can't get some single a dudes and some random guys you've got to get legitimate guys that are either ready or very close to ready at the major league level i'm not giving away a guy who could be a stud in the postseason for just some rando off the street now will smith a little bit of a different situation because the giants they've got enough guys in the bullpen and it's not like we're expecting them to be playing these usually meaningful games in the month of September. Yeah, and I think that, if anything, what this run has done, I know it's excited the Giants fans, but it's given Farhan Zaidi a chance to say, look, maybe I'm not going to give you Madison Bumgarner for nothing. I could keep Madison Bumgarner and be a major thorn in your side NL competitor. So it's an... A useful negotiating tactic. It's exactly that, if anything, a tactic. You you know what it's really helped? It's helped me in our Meatball Paul bet (laughs) and our Giants versus A's battle. Yeah, except the A's have been just as good on the stretch. I know, but here's the thing. Because the Giants, 47 and 49 as we tape, the A's 55 and 41. So you're eight games up. You spotted me 15 15 wins. If the Giants didn't get seriously hot 
You'd be dead right I'd now. I'd be dead right now. You'd be knee deep in marinara. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, the, the bet is I eat two meatball subs at the same time, one sitting. Yes. If I lose the bet, some people would say that's the winner's share, but we look at it differently. No, you, Joey the, Chestnut would say that that's <laughs> you're winning. You're winning. No, so Larry, just to retrace on this, is an incredibly healthy eater. So the fact that he'd be sitting here eating two meatball subs at once, maybe on this very podcast, to me, is extremely satisfying. And if the Giants didn't go on this run, like we would already probably be talking about settling this bet. I would be negotiating. It would be over. I'd be going Farhan Zaidi on you right now. Say, <laughs> what if we throw in a bag of chips and just make it one sub? Well, yeah. What a- what if producer Leonard wants half a sub? What, what I mean, if we give him a meatball? We'll roll it oh, over Lady in the like Tramp that. style like this. Yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> I think I think we're in relative agreement on the Giants situation. you got to sell. As tempting as it is, at least you have a couple of pieces that can help you in the long run if you get some quality players back. And you, you can't just fall for the fool's gold right now and expect that this hot streak is going to continue. We should talk a little bit more about your A's because I was thinking about um, you put in, in one of our scripts the other day, uh, instead of back-to-back jacks, Matt <laughs> to Matt jacks, yes. Chapman and Olsen. And in your opinion, since you're, you're like our Billy Bean here mm-hmm. uh, with the green and gold, mm-hmm. is it the best A's duo since the Bash Brothers? You know what? In Matt Chapman and Matt Olsen, you have two very young, extremely talented, powerful guys that both play gold glove defense that is as well-rounded a package that i think you're ever gonna find and now i know the a's had the big three that was obviously a trio which was amazing you had mvp miguel tejada and six-time gold glover eric chavez back in the early so i would venture to say that if they can find a way to keep these guys around this could be the best duo the A's have ever had. Yes. Ever? Ever. Ever? I think Matt Chapman... Can Seiko and McGuire? Well, you know I have a soft spot (laughs) in my heart for for Jose, but... And I'm Mark. Uh, There are some certain factors that we might need to address. You want to quoting passages from Bud Seelig's new book? I don't know if we want to go down that road with them, but... Well, well, they also had Ricky. I mean, come on. Well, I'm just talking about duos. Ricky was better. Yeah, but if you take a duo... Cespedes and Donaldson, oh, they were pretty good. They were very good. But I think you have longevity in Chapman and Olsen. And I actually think Matt Chapman, you look at him, he's got over 20 homers. He's a platinum glover, not even a gold glover. He is playing himself into MVP consideration. Absolutely. He will be an MVP candidate and possibly for many years. He is turning into everything we kind of wanted out of Eric Chavez that he never fully became. Here's a good question. Because the A's have him under team control for a while. Mm-hmm. What is Matt Chapman's next contract going to it's look gonna like? It's going to be astronomical. Because it you is. know where Harper and, and Trout are. I mean, yeah. $300 million is like the new benchmark. <laughs> That's the new low for the elite-level yes, player. Yes, and he's quickly getting up there. Uh, it, I don't even want to think about what it's worth. And I hope, I hope for the A's' sake that they can have a Howard Terminal situation figured out in time to get somebody like Matt Chapman and keep him. This could be a transformative-type player 
for the Oakland Athletics franchise. You still He's that good. You still didn't really answer my question. How much? No. Well, no. The the first question. You didn't answer that question either. Oh, but you're just you're so elusive. My answer is thirty <laughs> percent. <laughs> There's uh, your. I don't know what answer. Which which duo was the best A's I'm gonna, duo? I don't want to use recency bias for my answer, but I think when you look at potential long term implications. I think it could absolutely be Olsen and Chapman. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because right. there's been a lot of great duos and even trios, but I'm going to I'm gonna take Chappie and Olsen because I think the future is incredibly bright with them right now. All right. They're, they're doing a lot of bashing. Speaking of yes. bashing, I think it's time for our guest. All that glitters is real gold. The championship belt and the big reveal. Ah, Ryan Hater. What's going on, guys? <laughs> Why don't you hang on to this? Your belt is heavy, man. Yeah, it's heavy, huh? I don't want to hang on. We'll put it on the ground. Put <laughs> it on the ground. Wow. The well, belt we have so many of them. I yes. Mean. Have a couple of them. You know, there we have the uh, heavyweight and light heavyweight, but there's a, I have a cool one. It was uh, the heavyweight Grand Prix mm. that had everybody's name on the side of it engraved, and uh, that one's pretty special. And uh, you captured that belt in a special way against a legend. Yeah, I came up. You know, I was a wrestler, and I always, I always watched Fedor and Pride, and then to be able to compete against him and do it in a Grand Prix-style tournament and do it for the second belt. And then on top of that, friends and family were there, walk out there. It's the uh, national anthem they played right before, the Russian anthem. Then people started chanting, USA, USA. And then it started to be a national thing. Wow. And I was like, oh, here we go. And then go out there in 35 seconds, I end up knocking him out. <laughs> and... It was like one of those, you know, holy crap moments where it, it's pretty, you know, you don't, it doesn't get any bigger than that in your career. It's kind of the pinnacle, right, as, as far as the buildup, the two belts, beating, you know, a legend of sport, one of your idols, and then and then uh, doing it in L.A., close to my hometown, Phoenix, and, and friends and family there is a really special moment. Now, you're a similar age to me. I knew I grew up watching those, like, famous Fedor YouTube videos. Yeah. I mean, you got to know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, for me, it was kind of surreal. In the whole training camp, I was like, all right, don't put him on a pedestal. You know, yeah. you're, you're, uh, you're better than him. You're, you're this and that. And I'd have to check myself here and there because you, you start getting in your own head. And then being across the cage from him, you're like, that's that's Fedor, <laughs> it's gotta be and he, he he just went through that tournament. He <laughs> yeah. beat you know uh, Chelsea and Frank Mir in a buzzsaw fashion, like you know, knocked him out. Yeah, you know, beat him silly, and I knew going into that fight that I was going to be in a buzzsaw right away. It wasn't one of those. Oh, I'm gonna. F-, he, he doesn't feel you out. He just comes at you and tries to knock your head off. So that's intimidating, you know, and especially for me, watching him do that to everybody, you know, and so to go out there and. You know, uh, I was trying to gauge that distance where I'm like, all right, he's going to throw. He's going to throw. All right, that's the line I got to be at where he's not going to throw at me, but I think I can get him. And so you can see it in his eyes. He was he was getting ready, and, and all of a sudden he was, you know, I'm like, all right, there it is. And so I threw a, a weird left hook and ended up catching him right, right on the button and putting him down. And then when I saw him fall, I was like, this could be it right now. And I jumped on him, and I hit him with a couple punches. And like, wow, you know, it's, yeah. it's over. And uh uh, a lot of hard work went into that. That was a year of going through that tournament, you know, and, you know, stepping out of my comfort zone and going up to heavyweight, you know, and going fighting King Mo, Matt Mitrione, who was a big, big heavyweight, mm-hmm. and then, you know, facing the legend in Fedor. I mean, how surreal, how shocking, how just after all the buildup, the whole camp, just knowing who he is to just like, oh, 30 seconds, okay. 
Yeah, I mean, I when that's I was crazy, you know, I, I got to share the octagon with you know the guys sitting over here, and you know, my brother-in-law, my coaches, and my wife was in. You know, my parents were in the stands, and friends and family. You know, walking out of that, you know, being in that cage right after is surreal, and then walking to the locker room after, and it was kind of, it's a, every fight's a huge weight lifted off your shoulder, mm-hmm. and then uh, you get back there. You know, I had three belts laid on the couch. Yeah. That we laid out and and uh, took a shower and came out had friends and family in the room and it was just a it's a cool experience not only for myself but you know the family and every and I'm glad I'm able to do something where I can bring everybody together like that. Yeah, you're really unique in that you're bouncing back and forth between light heavyweight and heavyweight. So light heavy is 205 and heavyweight you fight around 225. How difficult is that to go up and down and up and down and make weight? And you were telling me yeah. earlier, but you know, that the the night before you're thinking, yeah. okay, I got to cut ten pounds, and that, that that's got to be some pressure involved with that. Yeah, and we'll see. I I haven't been this heavy and, and gone back down, you know. Mm. Um, so usually two o five, I walk around maybe two thirty. You know, I'm a good ten pounds heavier than that. Um, but walk around two thirty. I'm usually get down to two twenty two. The week of, I leave. We go to wherever the fight's at, and then I'm watching it. I'm, I'm I'm drinking a lot of water, actually, tricking my body to thinking it's getting too much, you know. And uh, um, I start watching my food and working out hard every day. And then, yeah, the night of, I'm my weight's usually down, but then I I, I put on plastics. I I um we turn the crank up the heat in the little you know workout room to about you know 85. And do about 45 minutes of a little light boxing, moving around, moving around, going hard for a second. And I get 10 pounds off in about 45 minutes. Wow. 10 pounds of water. Minutes? Yep. And then I'll usually take a little break and I'll go in the sauna, get a couple more off. And then I'll go kind of refuel a little bit, put a little bit of water in my body, no salt, no sodium, eat a little bit. I'm not really that hungry. I'm just pretty much thirsty at that point. And then I'll try to do a hot bath at night and get two more pounds off. You can do that in about 10 minutes. Wait a second. You take a hot bath and you lose two pounds? So a hot bath, meaning you get it as hot as you can. If you move, it's almost too much, right? Mm. And uh, two pounds comes comes off in 10 minutes, and you get out, and you're in it. It's, it's takes it out of you. And then I try to get a little bit of water in, and then I try to <laughs> sleep. And you're dreaming that you woke up and you pounded a Gatorade and – you know, and you wake up, you're dreaming, you're about dreaming it. Yeah, you're dreaming about electrolytes and water. Oh, um, and then I wake up, and then I usually hit the bath again because I'm usually like two over. And so, you know, I don't really want to put on plastics and move around. So uh, a couple pounds in the bath, and then you were able to now to go weigh in in the morning. And so we go do that, and then it's refueling. You have 24 hours to put it back on. You got to do a video. Never mind all the fighting stuff. I know, right? This is the weight loss technique that America wants and needs. It's I don't think the, they need it. The hot, oh, oh, America needs it. Yeah, I, I know they need it, but they, yeah. you can't sustain that. You, the, know, you, you feel like crap. But the hot, Don't tell them that. Yeah. Uh, it's the hot bath diet, and you're guaranteed yeah. to lose two pounds, the there heavyweight champ says. It's like so. hot yoga, but you, you know. Have you tried Bikram yoga? I've done, yeah, I have. That's brutal. That is brutal. I was like, oh, I'll go in there and, and kill it. And I was like, and I'm not overly flexible anyway. Woo. It's like, how much more time we got? Yeah. <laughs> 15 minutes. Yeah. 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 The burn sets in. Let me ask you this. Like, when did you realize that this was your calling? Obviously, you made the right choices, <clears throat> but how did you get to this point? Because I always find kind of the, the origination story fascinating. Yeah. So I came, uh, I'm from Reno, Nevada. Mm-hmm. I came down to ASU on a wrestling scholarship, Arizona State wrestled got my degree um was thinking about going to law school and i was like ah, i re- 
it was kind of like, where do I go? Um, but I was kind of burned out. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a two-time All-American in wrestling, but I, I was, I've been an athlete since I was seven years old, and I really didn't want to – if I didn't want to go to the gym, I didn't want to because mm-hmm. I, was, I was always, you know, you got to be here, you got to be training. And so I, I got a sales job, and uh, I did that for a little while, and immediately – I, I miss competing and working towards something. Okay, yeah. And so I had friends in our in our uh, ASU team. There was Cain Velasquez, who was a UFC, mm-hmm. former UFC from heavyweight champ from San Jose. Um, C.B. Dalloway, Aaron Simpson, you know, go, go down the line. And then, you know, um, they knew they were going to go train and fight. Um, I didn't really. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go do some boxing in this MMA gym and um, Muay Thai, grappling, just keep in shape. But I knew, I kind of knew in the back of my mind, if I'm doing that, I'm gonna try a fight. Mm-hmm. And so I go <laughs> in there, and they, uh, and they realize, you know, D1 wrestlers are, are uh, pretty good, and they're beating, yeah. beating up on these other guys. And so me and uh, CB and I, you know, we were doing well in practice, and they're like, "You want to fight?" And we're like, "Yeah, sure." Uh-huh. And so <laughs> we fought on the Indian reservation in Arizona, um, and my first opponent was like 185 pounds yeah wore a rash guard had long yeah. hair yeah and so uh we were all hitting mitts in the back and um we were kind of watching him through the curtain and he was hitting his whipping his head and his his uh braid or whatever he had came and whipped him in his eye and he was like took a knee and oh, he's down wow. <laughs> so i was like it was a good first fight to build confidence yeah. you know and i went out there and, and i've been going with d1 wrestlers my whole life and yeah going with somebody that really didn't know anything mm-hmm. it was a different world I was like wow we i could be really good at this and um you know it was one of those things where i had a job for a while while i was training while i was fighting and then the opportunity came where you know like hey we have a small monthly for you if you quit your job mm-hmm. and it was really nothing you know i was racking up uh money on my credit card um just taking any fight i can get and then i ended up getting on the ultimate fighter winning that yeah it's kind of snowballed yeah, that was your big break, right? Yep, the Ultimate yeah. Fighter. You know, getting on that and you know getting out there and winning that definitely. You know, I felt like I was king of the world for a second, and then realized I'm right back down to the bottom. You yeah. know, the UFC. You yeah. know, I, I'm really envious because I would love to have a job where I get to punch people in the face for a living. <laughs> uh, the problem is they punch back. Yeah, they do. That kind of sucks. That, uh, I just love competing. I've done it my whole life, and I, I I've been training my whole life. You know, so for me, I've got other stuff going on, um, business-wise, but it, it's I still love going to the gym and training. You know, two times a day, and and I love having a goal to attain. I love having something on the horizon. You know, when I don't have it, I feel kind of lost a little bit. So, you know, I I love to be like, all right, in two months, I'm, you know, I'm fighting, you know, Czech Congo, defending mm-hmm. the heavyweight title. You know, in the um the moment right after you win is one of the sweetest feelings ever it's such a pressure relief and you've worked so hard you attained a goal and you're like all right what's next what's the cheat meal after that it's got to be a go-to right? i can't really eat all that much right right when i'm kind of done that night yeah you know we'll go in the back and your your stomach's weird the day of nerves and all that mm. and so i usually have like a coke okay i don't really drink yeah. you know coke Pepsi, or whatever and then uh, kind of that night, whatever, the next day, I get down on some tacos and, you know, we'll drink some beers and all that. Usually my family's in town. Mm-hmm. And so we're all there. And so we stay another day and have fun and, and kind of celebrate together. And then you, you're on to the next one, huh? Then, yep. Yeah, then you're right back at it. You mentioned coming up through the UFC. Mm-hmm. And you've taken a path 
We'll see if it becomes more popular. I mean, this has not been the traditional way to come up because for most guys, the UFC is the pinnacle. Yep. But you sort of made the right turn to go to Bellator, which, you know, uh, Scott Coker years ago started Strike Force, yep. which was very popular in San Jose. Uh, that got bought out and uh, now is running Bellator, and it's it's growing rapidly, and, and your rise is a part of it. So uh, for the hardcore MMA people out there, can you talk us through the decision as to what made you decide to make that jump? Because it had to be something of a risk for you. No, it definitely was. You know, there there's a time where I was kind of guaranteed a title shot also in the UFC. Um, go out and beat you know, Rashad Evans. I was talking to Dana White on the phone. Well, I went and did it, you know, and then I got – I got jumped for a guy that jumped over for a guy that just lost by a KO in it, uh, in Alexander Gustafson, you know. So at that moment, I was like, you know what? Like, if I'm not getting it now, I was like, I, I got to start thinking about something. And I ended up losing a fight. And uh, um, at that moment, I was like, I'm just going to have fun with this. And I had two more fights left on my contract. I went out after that loss and got a, a great KO against a tough guy that was like top five. Um, and then uh, beat Nogueira, who's who's legend in the sport. And uh, when we signed that last fight, we signed it on a short notice. And they're like, oh, yeah, we, we got to um, redo your contract, too. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to redo it. And they were kind of pissed about that, but went forward. And uh, I've been talking to Bellator. Or t- we spoke to Bellator after that. And, and I just loved the whole – I loved the atmosphere. I, I loved what, you know, Scott Coker and Rich, Rich were saying as far as they were open to different things, fighting that heavyweight, doing a tournament, going to Japan. Um, so I came over, and uh, you know Phil Davis was one of the first guys to leave, and he was top three in the UFC mm-hmm. at that time. And he was there before, and so I, I fought him in my first fight for the championship. And so there was two top five guys in Bellator at the same you know, same time in the world, regardless of promotion, you know. And so um, got to do that, defended it, got to you know come in and do the uh, heavyweight tournament. So I've been enjoying it, and. You think it, it's a trend? You know, you're going to see more and more guys coming over. You know, Masasi, you know, came over, and he was he was top five in the world, regardless of promotion, you know. And uh, um, you're going to continue to see that Machida came over. Uh, Miles Jury just came over, I saw today. It's gonna, definitely going to be uh, definitely a trend for sure. You could fight anybody in the world, all-time MMA or wrestling. Who would your dream opponent be? Um, I would say Fedor. Yeah, which right? is crazy. But yeah, already took care of him. Already so. took care of that. Um, <laughs> you know, it would be it would be one of the, I think the three. It was uh, either Dan Severin, mm-hmm. um, Dan Henderson, Don Fry. Don, there you go. So you know, I grew up watching those. Those guys are wrestlers, right? And they yeah. introduced me to the game. And uh, you know, I always rooted for them as being a wrestler when I was you know seven, eight years old and watching them. You know, when the first UFC tapes come out. And, you know, kind of thinking, well, I can maybe do this. You know, I'm a wrestler. And mm-hmm. then as I got older and watching Dan Henderson do it into his, you know, late 40s. Yeah. And fighting for a world title in his last fight. You know, at what, 48 years old or something like that. You know, it's it's purely out of respect, just like Fedor was, but probably one of those guys. Nice. I saw an interview where you were saying your goal was to try to be the Michael Jordan of mixed martial arts. What would that be? What would you have to do to accomplish that? You know, I think the whole sport would it would have to be more of like cross promotion kind of stuff. You know, with the UFC and Bellator um, kind of coming together and uh, doing some cross promotional fights. You know, 
Um, I have two belts there. You know, it would be against like a, a Cormier or John Jones, you know. Um, I think that's going to happen in the future. I think there are going to be those one-offs, and why not? You, you've seen it done with boxing, you know. Um, obviously, there's competition, and, and UFC fills that, that threat of Bellator, you know. And so they don't want to, you know, give them any any footing whatsoever, sure. I don't think, you know. But I, I, I do really believe that in the future there will be some cross-promotional fights. I want to talk about the upcoming bout with Congo because that's what you're here for. And that's in September, early September. Yeah, September 7th, uh, SAP Center. It'll be on, uh, this one will be on DAZN, the DAZN app. And so what you got to do, you got to, you know, I think that's where everything's kind of going. Um, so they have a ton of boxing. They have all the Canelo fights. Um, you just download the app. It's a monthly service. And then you can kind of go from there. You know, that I'm sure they have a free trial. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so Chet Congo, he's been around forever. He's won eight fights in a row. Um, you know, I obviously won the tournament, and I'm defending the belt for the first time. And it's a, a interesting matchup for sure. You know, he's going to bring it. He's great with the stand-up. Um, I feel like I'm well-rounded and um, definitely take him out. Nice well, for coming in. Thank Absolutely. you, boys. Appreciate it. Yeah, we didn't get into it, but family man, multi-champion, wrestler, MMA fighter. There's nothing you can't do. We really appreciate oh, this. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Good luck. September the 7th. Don't hurt anybody around here, okay? Not here. Just try to restrain yourself. I always do. (laughs) Ryan Bader puts people to sleep in conventional ways. Like like my grandpa used to say, hit first and ask questions later. (laughs) That's where you get that. Casey, that's pretty much my (laughs) attitude most of the time. Uh, Facts not so important. (laughs) But uh, you have a more sophisticated approach, a more psychological approach. And I have mentioned this to a number of people the fact that you claim to be able to hypnotize a chicken (laughs) and the first reaction is usually what what is there any proof that have you ever seen him hypnotize a chicken and i I haven't seen you do it but you showed me some videos where people have hypnotized chickens and you've obviously spent a lot of time working on this yes yes leonard bring me the live chicken let's go (laughs) no chicken Sorry, I forgot that one. <laughs> well, this podcast is over. Uh, no, so funny story. I don't know how it came up, but uh, I told Larry one day I can hypnotize chickens. He absolutely didn't believe me. I demonstrated how you hypnotize a chicken, which makes no sense when you don't have a live chicken, Leonard. But uh, one day, like our boss's bosses were presenting me with a certain award, humble brag. And Larry goes ahead and mentions in front of not only our entire station, but the people in charge of our station and above that, that I hypnotized chickens. Which, Some Disney bosses. Which became a very awkward situation quickly. So here's the facts. If you get a chicken and you lay it on its side carefully and you draw a line just back and forth in front of the top of its beak in the dirt or get a, like a piece of chalk on cement and just draw it back and forth across its ahead of its beak, that chicken will quickly enter a catatonic state where it is just laying there hypnotized out. And so I don't want to get into too much detail. Oh, but whoa, whoa, you got me for a second. Yeah, I, I got you, right? He was out. I was watching he was out. Oh, he was watching the on. line. Was... Um, so one day I was at a party. This is back in, like, college days. 
And the <laughs> so was house the chicken we were drunk at, or were you drunk? <laughs> mm, no maybe comment. both. Maybe uh, both. And the house we were at had a chicken coop, which actually now more and more people have chicken coops. My wife really wants us to get one, which could be a bad idea because I'll just have all the chickens laid out in the grass. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, and somebody told me this that you can hypnotize a chicken, and I had the same reaction that Larry had. I was like, No, you can't hypnotize. No. That's ridiculous. So we get out this chicken from the coop. He lays it down. He draws the line in the dirt. And sure enough, the chicken's out. Out cold. Out cold. And I was just in complete and utter disbelief. So so I was able to learn it and try it then, too. The funniest part about the evening at first was after we hypnotized the chickens, we're like, okay, so, like, now what? Like, how do you wake up the chicken? Do you have to, like, snap or clap or just stomp by it by it and we, we didn't know how do you wake we didn't up? know we didn't know how to unhypnotize the chickens so what did you do <laughs> we just put them back in the coop and waited for them to <laughs> wake up they and could they do still they come there. out they do come out of they it come they're out not of it. and now they are mcnuggets no oh. so anyways they come out of it they're fine it's a funny thing you can actually google it um search it on youtube you can hypnotize chickens it's a random skill i learned at a party and it's a hilarious trick if you actually have one Gently, carefully lay the chicken down. Just draw a line in front of its beak. It doesn't hurt it at all. It just goes into a little uh, catatonic state. It's absolutely hilarious. Chicken coma. Yes, absolutely. So while Ryan Bader has more uh, dominant means of putting people to sleep, chickens, just draw a line. Dirt or chalk. Someday we got to get a camera out to your house. <laughs> and I don't have any chickens. And, well, we'll we just need a, to get a chicken in we'll here. Find a chi- you know, I have turkeys in my backyard yeah, at times. Yeah. Does it work with a turkey? That's a little bigger bird. We could try. And, and probably a lot feistier. I think we would probably end up... Uh, scarred up. Yeah, I think we'd be scarred up. But, All right. you know, maybe right. we'd have a Thanksgiving dinner arranged. That is your lesson, folks. On Hypnotizing Chickens, a podcast where you will learn everything is this one. With authority. Leonard, what do you have? How am I supposed to go after hypnotizing a chicken? <laughs> By the way, that's called tonic immobility, and it's mm. actually a defense mechanism that most birds have. Why? Um, How could that help you? Because it makes it it's like playing dead. So ah. 15 to 30 seconds, and they will wake up. Yes, exactly. That's what we learned. What is, what yeah. is it called again? Tonic immobility. Tonic immobility, so yeah. could, It's so a state of paralysis. Could the chicken voluntarily put themselves in tonic immobility? Yeah. Uh, any type of threat. That, so you just kind of... <laughs> yeah, I give up. Do you know uh, uh, the the fainting goats? Same kind yeah. of thing. Interesting. So it's that same okay. thing. Okay, that's good knowledge, wow, This is very good uh, science lesson. <laughs> there you go. Speaking of science, perfect. This is perfect uh, segue into what I want to ask you guys. So obviously, moon landing anniversary yes. coming up. Big deal, in my opinion, just because I'm like a big nerd and I had a um, professor whose uh, dad worked on it actually created the fuselage with a bunch of people and she had a picture in her um, office of him standing next to the Apollo um, mission module. Um, Anyways, first question, because it's going to be a two-parter. Uh-oh. First question on you guys. Pen ready. (laughs) Just like an exam. We have to buzz in. (laughs) You have to buzz (laughs) now. Is this multiple choice or? First question. Do you guys believe we actually landed on the moon? Oh, man, we were just talking about this. This is great. You go first. Well, this is interesting because my grandmother was born in Odessa, Russia in 1901. I distinctly remember as a kid when the Apollo program was taking off and we would see pictures on the news of 
the moon landing and 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 she was like 100% adamant that's fake there's no way we're on the moon don't believe that larry that it's completely fabricated it's impossible i mean look common sense we're here the moon's up there uh and there's it's just not theoretically possible it's just the whole thing is on a hollywood lot kid just go play ball don't worry about that but i i mean i certainly believe it remember steph curry was it like last year yeah, steph on a curry podcast, got in a lot of trouble oh, for he claiming that they didn't water, land on the moon uh, and got actually an invitation from astronauts to go to houston and see mission control which and i all think that. he did end up talking uh, to them yeah, and, yeah, and no, coming around on that point so yeah no i believe that we did uh, land on the moon how about you so i am going to play the antagonist role here okay. and while i do believe we did land on the moon i will paint a little bit of skepticism on the situation yeah what i have in my hand is an apple iphone yeah there is enough technology in this phone to probably beat and outlast anything that was on those apollo crafts that landed no on the question moon. so answer me this why with subpar far inferior technology were we able to get to the moon and land and put humans on the moon to walk right. And now in the days where we have things like this and the cameras and the every, I mean, we have technology vastly superior. Why have we not been back? If it was that easy to what get What if I there? could answer that question for Why you? There have we been, been, we back? have been back. We've actually landed several times. There've been 12 men on the surface of the moon. Not in a long time. No, and the reason is because the actual, uh, NASA used to build a spaceship every single time. Mm -hmm. Like that's how they would do the shuttle. Every single time they'd build mm -hmm. it from scratch. But after a while to save money, they started reusing them. And whenever you reuse something, you can never get it back to its original form. So after a few explosions and a few um, tragedies, they decided that anything outside of just doing an orbit was too dangerous because the reentry would be a problem. And that means they would have to spend more money, which they didn't have a budget. Their budget continued to get slashed. And then people just stopped caring about going to the moon. Yes, well, but there's Mars now. I Why know, can't but, but, we get to Mars with much better equipment? Well, but see, that's that's the whole that's premise the behind SpaceX. And now uh, uh, Jeff Bezos has got a space company. It's all been privatized because the government has sucked the money out of NASA. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of retooling. We're shooting way past the moon. Yeah, we got to get going somewhere to Mars. else. I mean, they're talking about colonizing Mars. I actually did an interview with somebody from the Exploratorium, and uh, they've got a whole bunch of events in conjunction with the 50th anniversary. But they're talking about now using the moon as kind of your... Your base space of station. operations, yeah, base yeah. of hmm. operations. Now the moon, but then you'd have to land there again first. Well, yeah, but you, which isn't hard actually. Yeah, no, and well, the moon is only anymore. three days away. We could get there in yeah. three days. Let's leave now. Mars. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the next Mars. podcast will be on the moon. Oh, yes. that's yeah. No, that would be very cool if we could pull that off. Uh, we have a hard enough time at the beach. But uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, what's part two of your question? Okay, so the second one. This one goes a little bit deeper into the crazy. Yeah. Um, do you guys believe there's aliens? Wow. Yeah, you thought I was going to go all the way left on that one, did you? I would say that the universe is far larger than any of us can even begin to comprehend. And to legitimately believe that this planet is the only one that holds intelligent life, it seems kind of far-fetched to me, but I don't think that there's, like, little green men that have made it to Earth, and 
I love this whole thing about storming Area 51, by the way, which is awesome. I think Area 51 can be easily explained in that, you know, at the time they were developing high-tech planes and weaponry and they didn't want anybody to know about it. So all this stuff that came out of Area 51 was probably just highly secretive military installments. Um, but, yeah, I think there's got to be life somewhere else on this planet. Or not this planet, this uh, this universe. Um, I don't think we've met it yet, though. So I have an old friend who literally is a rocket scientist <laughs> and works down at Stanford. And this is a question that I've repeatedly asked. My two questions of him were about cold fusion. If you remember probably 20 years ago, cold fusion was an idea that was floated by was Fleischmann and Pons, I believe. And this was going to be a new way to revolutionize nuclear energy. Um, r- right now, we, we have the old fusion. Well, this is old turning fusion into a science. Cold fusion. Old, uh, <laughs> basically, with, with cold fusion, you could use less energy, and mm-hmm. it was a cleaner way to do it. And these guys allegedly came up with a formula that would allow cold fusion to happen. And I remember when I asked him, uh, and he just laughed, and he said, no, these guys are idiots. This is, no, we just can't do that. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, a few months later, their, all of their work was debunked. Oh, and they, uh, well, that's no good. Yeah, so, so anyway, I had asked him about, uh, you know, aliens, life, have we ever been visited? And, and he said that because of the vast differences, uh, the, just the mileage involved between us and all these other galaxies that are out there, it would just take too long unless you had kind of a Star, a Star Trek like wormhole where you could, you know, pop out of another galaxy or universe and into ours. And it's just not really given physics as we understand it in our you know, system, our solar system, not possible. But I think it would be naive of us to think we, we can't possibly be the smartest creatures out there. We've proven <laughs> that mean, we can't, with every podcast. I'm hoping that we're not. I really hope we're not. I really no, hope we're not. I, I hope we're not either. Look, just look at, I mean. Actually, I hope we are, because if it comes to battle, we need to win this one. Oh, We need yeah. to oh, win no, this Oh, no, if there's one. a battle, we're done. Yeah, that's not no. happening. Uh, but it, it's interesting, because uh, I, I mentioned Elon Musk, and a lot of people have speculated. That he's an alien? No. Oh. Well, but he doesn't sense. sleep a lot. Hmm. Um, I don't either. But that... Uh, we are in a simulation. Oh, yes. And that uh, we're really just in... Okay, I think we're going down a rabbit hole here. <laughs> <laughs> in a matrix that was set up by yes. far superior beings. They're just harvesting us for our energy like the matrix. It could be something like that. You know anyway, what, though? I, I remember this might not be an actual fact. Leonard could correct me, but... There are more stars in the sky than there are grains of sand on the world's beaches. So to say that we are only ones out there is ridiculous. I've heard that so many times. And I think I just that's think a Neil that's, deGrasse Tyson original. I think that's – it just can't be possible. Just go to any be- – well, there can't be that many more stars than, than grains could of be. sand. I, I don't let's, – that, let's that I don't believe. Let's dive deeper into uh, more conspiracy theories okay. since we're on this track yes, right now. Yes, News of the day. All right, people. The human race. Oh, yes. They're actually quite predictable. But did you participate – in this week's latest fad, the FaceApp Old Age Challenge, Leonard. Yes, I did, and I have no regrets. Uh, Not today, when yes. Comrade Putin recruits you or decides he doesn't want you 
He might have looked oh, he would decide photo. he yeah, doesn't he, want me real quick. I can't run very far, so it doesn't help And he's like, much. nah, I'm good. Anyway, this is similar <laughs> to the 10-year challenge that yeah. was out there a while ago where everybody's uploading their photos, and it's kind of a neat trick or toy where it takes your photo and then it, like, I want to be older. Like, yes. I, I spend every day trying to avoid that. But it then makes you, what is it, 20, 30, 40, 50 years older, yeah. so you see what everybody looks oh, like. Old oh, Leonard. wow, old Leonard. you got to post that. you got to post that. Yeah, that's going in the podcast. As, we now, won't show you young Leonard, but you'll just get to see old Leonard, now, and you'll have to reverse engineer that image. Now, you and I had the exact same thought at exactly. the exact same time, the moment that this became a thing, and that was... I looked at it, I immediately thought, this is a massive data grab everybody is willingly sending their photos to a company of which they know nothing about and they're taking them all and they're using them and then a couple hours later we actually saw a tweet i think it was michelle Steele of espn that pulled up the company page what is the company called wireless lab and they are based out of russia and part of the privacy policy that you're agreeing to when you send it is saying that they can take the photos in your camera roll and basically use them for whatever they want. And I think about the way that they can take all this facial recognition technology or even apply it to stuff like deep fakes where they're like for creating sure. videos of people saying things they never even said or accessing your camera roll and you're losing not only data but possibly sensitive images that they can be used for compromise. I, I don't trust it for a second. This this podcast is really really. Uh, I thought we were doing a sports podcast. I don't know what's going on. I don't trust it. End. But you see, guys like let's bring it back to sports. Steph Curry was doing it. All these famous people were posting all their pictures of face app. Almost every prominent athlete was doing it. And I just think you're willingly giving people way too much information as we sit here on Facebook. Now, there and was other sites. There was one writer, and I, I forget which blog it was on, who said that the app was trying to grab all of the pictures, all of the photos on his phone. The question that I would have is, once they get access to your phone, who's to say that they're just limiting what they take to your photos? Leonard, they could be taking all of your sensitive passwords and information that you have stored on that $1,500 phone of yours. Take it. <laughs> <laughs> they already have this podcast. Yeah. Leonard and nudes. all of its data. Leonard's nudes. Oh, oh my no. goodness. Oh, it's You'll gonna be really want to see those Take after him. you see Vladimir Putin. <laughs> Leonard. Vladimir Putin's going to pass out oh, when he gets a look no. at some of this stuff. But if you're a star person mm -hmm. and... You know, maybe I, you have some suggestive uh, photos. Some photos of uh, an Instagram friend of yours or whatever. Uh, oh my! Uh, I don't think you want to do this. The the one thing I'll say that's good about this. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I just as a life <laughs> lifestyle, I I'm not tempted. I have there's I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't. Mm -hmm. But what's happened with social media is everybody feels the need to be amongst the sheep. And join in whatever the hot fad, whatever the fad is. It doesn't matter if it's yeah. the ice bucket challenge or the 10-year challenge or the old face challenge. Whatever <laughs> the, whatever it is, people cannot resist because they, they want the likes. They want the clicks. They want their friends to see. They just, I would love just 
shut all these things down for like two weeks and let's go let's do a reset where you can't post to Instagram anymore or <laughs> Facebook yes. or Twitter for two weeks. Just try to – we'll do a deep cleanse, Leonard, and get you right so you don't feel compelled to give Mr. Putin all of your stuff because <laughs> you, you know, want to look like an old man. <laughs> you know what's funny is is that every weekend I turn off all my devices anyways. Uh, I honestly – I didn't even – I posted that one on Instagram, but it was only because I – I was trying to um, post something. I haven't posted in ages, so I just wanted to post something. All right. Well, you know what? I think we have a new challenge. What's that? Before we shut it all down, let's start a new fad where, like, all the sheep can just get in on it, yeah. right? Like, subscribe, <laughs> follow the podcast. I think that's a great fad. Everybody should be doing it. It should be a race to see how many people do it, and we will not take any of your data. We'll just take that sweet sweet sponsorship dollar right i think we. Can i think that's what get, we need all of us in this room can get behind yeah that. so i mean right now if you're listening on itunes we're also available on youtube you can see all this nonsense which is just way too much you also could get us on soundcloud spotify we're also on google we're everywhere google play yeah, if they don't go for this, we've got to come up with the stupid app challenge that <laughs> automatically subscribes them to the podcast. Yes, yes. You send us a picture of you, you hit subscribe, and then we'll send you back a picture of you um, <laughs> with a mustache on it or something. Right, we could. We have the technology. Yeah, to I'll do just that. Photoshop in mustaches on everyone. Leonard's going to be drawing mustaches for days. Or it's going to be fun. What are you talking about? I'm looking forward to it. Or they could send us the best aloha. Oh, I'd like to hear that. If anybody sends us an aloha, if anybody is out there listening that sends us an aloha at Larry Beal ABC Seven at Casey Pratt ABC Seven, I will send you back a bobblehead. I deal? think that's fair. That's a I fair think deal. That's fair. Do it. And with that, let us say aloha with authority.